Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's round two of the 2022 MotoGP season this weekend, but your mind might be on Maverick Vinales' meltdown, or Fabio Quartararo's title chase, or the collapse of Patronus Yamaha, or anything else that happened last summer, because you might have been binge-watching Amazon Prime's new MotoGP Unlimited documentary. Or at least, that was our hope, anyway. Um, MotoGP Unlimited launched with huge fanfare, and then was met with huge disappointment and uh, and confusion, and... uh, I'm Matt Beer, our stand-in host again. Simon Patterson joins me to explain why. So, Simon, when you uh, you've seen the preview copies of MotoGP Unlimited and were very impressed, and then when it came to watching it for real at uh, midnight on Sunday, what did you find? I I genuinely am struggling for words for how angry I am at the absolute mess they put out. Um, essentially, whenever it launched in the UK, it launched with the only audio option available being a a dubbed over what I think is a computer animated voice that somehow manages to completely strip any and all emotion out of the podcast, out of the the documentary and turn it into just this bland, unwatchable piece of piece (laughs) of garbage. It's it's they've destroyed something beautiful. I can't believe how badly they've handled it. Um, I've been speaking to Amazon, unsurprisingly, who are telling me, insisting to me that it's a technical problem, that it, it's something that they're trying really, really hard to fix at the minute. But I wonder, is the damage already done? Because my social media timeline is just full of people telling me they've tuned in to try and watch this. And they've they've just given up. Um, they've switched it off again. And then on top of all of this, um, what we were expecting to be a, a global launch hasn't been. Um, the documentary is completely unavailable in Asia, You know, one of MotoGP's biggest markets, if not the biggest developing market, uh, where three of the six manufacturers come from. It's also unavailable in Australia, where Jack Miller is one of the biggest stars of the show. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of lost for words at how badly it's all went wrong. Now... The expectation, as disappointing as this is, the expectation is that these problems are going to be fixed at some point. Well, we, we thought very soon, but maybe not. But, you know, in, in theory, people can watch this quite soon without robot voices and, and in all the right countries, I'm hoping. Yeah, thankfully, um, it seems... Well, first of all, it seems like the problem is is specific to the English version, which at least is something... Um, although I've seen some other issues here and there, um, especially with some rather interestingly done German subtitling. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the solution right now at the time of recording this to get around it is if you stick on the 4K ultra high definition version rather than the normal version, then that will give you the, uh, give you the, the, the sort of undubbed subtitled version, which is like, as you'll hear as, as we go on in the podcast, is is absolutely fantastic. Like, I, I love the subtitle version. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if it's because of the problems they're having or, or what, but it's quite difficult to find at the minute on Amazon. Um, you have to really go and search for, for both the, the, subti- or the, the subtitled 4K version and the normal version. Uh, when it launched on Sunday night, it had a big banner on the home screen, uh, a lot of fanfare, and that all seems to have disappeared uh, thanks to a one-star rating that it currently enjoys on Amazon. <laughs> so you need to do a little bit of digging around to find it. But yeah, if, if you if you hunt down the 4K version, it is, well, as you'll hear later, it's it's well worth sitting down and devoting eight hours of your day to. And this is it. This is why uh, your reaction was so angry on Sunday night, because as you'll hear in the rest of the podcast that we're about to move on into, uh, our, our general opinion is this documentary series is absolutely superb and, and going to do MotoGP a huge amount of favours, just as Drive to Survive and Netflix did for F1. In fact, probably better because of how Amazon's gone about doing this series. So 
Uh, we'll take you into the rest of the podcast now, which uh, starts with a chat about MotoGP Unlimited, recorded shortly before we realised it was going to be dubbed by robots. Um, so we'll head into that now. That's with me, Matt Beer, Simon Patterson, and our, our regular uh, third member of the team, Val Harinci. First of all, what did you make of it as MotoGP experts and, and regulars? I really enjoyed it. Um, it, it. It walks the fine line between something for the hardcore super fan and something for the newbie uh, probably more than drive to survive does i think um i watched drives to survive as research for this coming out i watched season three over again and and definitely yeah they i learned stuff from this which is nice as someone who thinks who spends every single waking moment of their life thinking about MotoGP. it's cool to, to have actually learned something and even better um i got confirmation of things that i'd only heard as rumor and never been able to report because they'd always be like paddock gossip and then suddenly they're be they're, they're playing out live in front of you which is awesome so um i i definitely if you're a if you're the sort of hardcore MotoGP fan who listens to our podcast every week then you want to watch this series because you are really going to enjoy it. Don't for one minute think that this is something that, that won't appeal to you because it's watered down or anything like that. It is genuinely great. In terms of the, in terms of the hardcore MotoGP fan, I think if you watch it, there's not going to be a lot of like inside industry revelations that are going to totally change your view of the, of the 2021 season. But there's going to be a lot of really, really welcome color. There's going to be like, you're really going to get to know the writers a little bit better or at least enjoy the time you spend with them because there's a lot of reasonably funny and entertaining stuff going on off the track and Im immediately after the races and stuff like that. And the access is, you know, it's pretty good. The access is impressive. I, as I mentioned it in the review, I was particularly impressed with how much the former Petronas Yamaha, now RNF Yamaha team allowed, allowed itself to be filmed in some meetings that seemed pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Like just as a, as a minor spoiler, uh, the meeting where uh, team owner Razlan Razali uh, tells tells his other two capos, if you will, that uh, Franco Morbidelli is off to to the Works Yamaha team, and they object to the fact that they think he basically offered him up instead of bartering for it. It's it's a it's a it's a really just just a and there's a few RNF Yamaha scenes like that. They're pretty much, I think, the most open of the teams that take part or the team with the most interesting stuff happening but just generally there's there's a lot of again i mentioned this in the review but the part where they show the stereo and grand prix while filming maverick vinales watching it with his family at a dinner table i think that's i've not seen something like that before in a sports doc i really really appreciate it it, it gave me serious uh sundral until i die vibe sundral until i die is this really good netflix documentary about a really poorly run football club and this this was basically straying close to that that sort of uh docudrama bit of reality life but not feeling particularly staged yeah of course they agreed to be there but it it, it felt pretty genuine it didn't feel like they were asking him to act up his reactions or anything like that and the, the whole show is like that there's a lot of emotion but not overblown there's a lot of i think editorial control but in a good way in that the people behind it i think stood their ground on some of the things or weren't weren't pushed by it because not everything in it makes MotoGP look good which is a good thing you you do not want a documentary that just makes your sport look perfect in every in every single way MotoGP is not perfect nothing is we there's obviously a few things we regularly complain about and they you know they crop up in there the the fabio chest protector thing crops up in there you get to see race control discussing it uh the Obviously, the Mugello in real time. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the Mugello thing with Jason Tabaschi's death and the riders not being quite in the, some of the riders being not quite in the right mindset to ride that crops up in there. So you know, it's just it's really, really impressive. And to to finish it up, uh, what I'm saying, and I, I know I've leaned on this in the review because obviously the series owes a lot to 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 F1's drive to survive. You can see the the similarities. You can see the inspirations. I know there's a wider sort of tradition of sports docs but you can see in particular how drive to survive influenced MotoGP unlimited but as any good successor MotoGP unlimited is just much better like i i didn't 
I didn't go so heavy about, but reflecting on it, how much ease and fun I was having binging all of it basically in one day because the deadline was coming up. Yeah, I got pretty tired, but I never got like, I never got exhausted with the show. Uh, and I get exhausted by like one episode of Drive to Survive. Just, it's much better. It's much better with a lot more reverence to the authenticity of the sport. And it shows that you don't have to, you don't have to dumb it down to make it entertaining. We, we knew from the beginning that the 2021 MotoGP season was so full of drama that there wouldn't really be a necessary, like it wouldn't need to ham it up, that it would be fine to just let it run its course and show what happened. And that is kind of exactly what they've done. They've just shown people reacting to things that actually happened without misconstruing anything or, or inventing anything. And it, it it's a better show for it because it doesn't feel like a soap opera. It feels like a drama. Um, they've done really well with that. The, the, the other big takeaway for me, you know, I, I talk a lot on social media to a lot of people, a lot of fans and a lot of them tell me yeah, you do. <laughs> and talk is a polite, <laughs> yeah, talk is do. a polite way to put it. Right. Um, <laughs> but a, a lot of them tell me what writers are like because they formed a personality of, for this writer based on the 30 seconds of interaction they see with them in the cameras every weekend. And in most cases, it's completely wrong. It's not at all what these humans are like. And what the documentary does is it gives a much better reflection of what the actual personalities are, of, of how they are away from what you see in the garage or in a press conference. And that's really nice. That's something that will do the sport really good standing, I think, because we have really interesting humans racing and working in MotoGP at the minute. Yeah, for, for one, none of us knew John Muir looks this good in a tux. Just absolutely phenomenal and it absolutely suits him honestly better than a race suit anyway i think <laughs> the big the big boon for for MotoGP unlimited the thing that makes it really really good is a philosophical difference that maybe in f1 wouldn't have been possible in f1 they have to the way it sounds like they have to pick which races they follow which teams and it probably isn't the simplest process because of how media controlled if one tends to be compared to MotoGP, how tight the PR departments are. And so they, there's a bit, they take it too far, but there's also a bit where they're just sort of having to write storylines around an already preordained schedule of team visits. MotoGP Unlimited, they, they made some really good choices of who to follow, but it also seems like at any point they could just rock up to a place where something notable has happened and interview everyone they wanted and, and get the get the material they wanted, get the post-race material, get the, the rider discussions in the paddock, which is, it's really important. That's, I think that might be a lesson to learn for F1 more than even the producers of Dry to Survive is just let them loose a bit more and then... Yeah, then you deal with the consequences. Obviously, the problem there is if, if something gets out that really just shouldn't get out. But a great docuseries has to take that risk. And I think there were a lot of there was a lot of risk taking here on, on behalf of all the stakeholders. And I hope they keep with it, maybe even relax it even a little bit more for, for season two, because I mean, that's that's ultimately what we want. And honestly, I'd, I'd like to think that nobody would think less of these people if in the heat of the moment, some of them didn't look so good because they got too angry or childish or pouted or whatever. So, yeah, that's part of it. I think, I, I know I'm giving people maybe a bit too much credit, but I, I'd like to think we, we understand that as a, we understand when people act out in, in these conditions because we've, we've basically invited the, uh, we've, we've invited ourselves into their, the most personal private moments of their highly competitive lives. And it, it actually, Seems like so. Season two isn't confirmed yet, but it's happening. Um, the crews were already in Qatar. It's going ahead, even though they haven't said anything yet. And um, it actually does seem like like season one has been a, such a success internally in the paddock that we are going to get even better access next year. Um, there's a, an interview coming in the next few days on the race with Jorge Martin about the process of shooting the documentary, and he he admitted that they've already asked for permission to shoot his contract negotiations. They want to be in the oh, room brilliant. when his manager is negotiating his new deal for next year. Which, and he, and he, as he said, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's like, brilliant. yeah, of course we have to. So, and you know, with, with the tension that's coming between the, the sort of Ducati love triangle of him, Mir, uh, Miller and Bastianini all trying to squeeze into one seat, that's going to be just incredible TV to watch. Like, I can't wait to see that. 
Um, the other thing that it's done for me, which which Drive to Survive did do a little bit, I, I must admit, was um, Drive to Survive kind of introduced me to characters in the MotoGP paddock that I wasn't necessarily from, or in the Formula One paddock that I wasn't necessarily familiar with. Like I think Gunther Steiner became a bit of a breakout star from it, and and the MotoGP documentary has I think done that quite well with some people as well. Um, Val, curious to hear if there's anyone for you that that really sort of shone out as someone you wouldn't necessarily think would be. Um, would be a star for me it was sort of frankie carcetti mir's crew chief because frankie comes across as just the the right mix of sort of bullying older father versus uh mir's best mate slash comic relief at times um yeah he really stood out to me maybe that's because i know frankie quite well and it's kind of shown off what he is actually like but yeah curious if you got that impression yeah so he doesn't have a lot of uh he doesn't have a lot of screen time necessarily in it but uh, Alacious Crucci for the Prilia, whose name I don't entirely uh, remember. Antonio right now. Jimenez. Uh, Antonio Jimenez, yeah. So he, you know, there's quite a few Alacious outbursts, and hearing Antonio Jimenez talk through them is, it is really, really fascinating, even though there's not like a ton of Antonio Jimenez in there. Um, just generally, I think I was weirdly into the family stuff, which I normally am not in sports docs, because normally, like, like I'm not here for the lifetime channel stuff or whatever. I want to see sports. I'm a sports guy. I don't really care what you eat for breakfast, etc. Blah blah. Keep that to boring magazines, boring flight magazines that you do interviews with. God, that was really mean. All of that was super mean. I apologize. <laughs> uh, it's been it's been a long week. Anyway, but yeah, in in this case, there's a lot of chemistry with any everyone who's involved. Like. There's a road trip with Mark and Alex that's a lot of fun that I've I've greatly enjoyed. I don't think it tells me a ton about Mark and Alex other than that they're close and they rib each other, which we... And they have we, terrible taste in music and bad singing oh, voices. Yeah, they, they do. They really do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's the Maverick with his family, super nice. Rins with his family. Mir with his girlfriend or wife. I'm not entirely sure. Wife. Wife, yeah. Alejandra. Oh, they all marry young. But <laughs> anyway, it's 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 all just really, really cool and sweet and somewhat informative, but just entertaining. They're entertaining people living entertaining lives and seemingly not trying to act it up for cameras. Uh, I think what I the feeling that was reinforced very strongly was that Jack Miller always feels like he needs to do something when he's in front of the camera. Like he gets an extra burst of 200 energy, which is not a criticism, by the way, because he's he's a lot of fun. Uh, bit of a core gesture, but in a nicer sort of way, because he's also obviously a fantastic MotoGP rider. But you you get a lot of that color, and if you if you come in wanting to, the thing is, if you want to come in wanting to like all of these guys, you'll have no problem liking any of them. Which maybe is partially a problem because I've heard a, a theory when watching some documentary reviews that a great documentary makes its star look terrible, and I vaguely agree with that. I think. And nobody in MotoGP Unlimited looks particularly terrible. So we'll have to wait and see what that what that means, because some people have to look terrible sometimes. That's just, you know, all of us do. So we'll see how that comes out in Season 2, Season 3, and we'll see if the show does anything to, say, alienate the reigning champion, like a certain other sports doc has done. <laughs> I think that might be slightly a characteristic of the season we've just had um, because no one in 2021 was a really sort of polarizing character. I think if we were making this show about the 2015 series season, we'd have, we would have, we would have real oh, yeah. people come out of it looking really good and really bad um, and maybe not necessarily the people that you immediately think. But um, we didn't really have that that sort of storyline in 2021 and maybe that'll change in 22, maybe... Maybe they'll they'll kind of focus in a little bit more on some of the drama that that does happen. But you know, even last year, like one of the one of the the drama moments was the sort of the Mir Miller feud that kicked off at, at, in Qatar. But Mir Miller, yeah, the two of them are in stone first name terms to each other when they meet in the paddock. So it's kind of hard to really make that into something. And I know it's actually it's kind of reflective of what the organizers were trying to or the the producers were trying to do that that hasn't turned into a big theme in the podcast because it doesn't reflect the reality that's that's quite a yeah. a good thing about them 
Um, so yeah, no, I, I let's see how 2022 plays out. And if anyone has a huge falling out with anyone on track, and then we'll see how it plays out. I think the the biggest falling out, without spoiling too much, in uh, in the, the this season is amazingly between Alesh and Paul. <laughs> There's an awesome scene where where Paul denies Alesh a Q1 spot by cruising. And they cut to the garage and there's a real like, what's it going to happen? What's it going to happen? What's going to happen when he arrives back? And he just arrives back in a tirade of Catalan swearing about his brother. It's glorious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of it, all of it towards Paul. None of it what you'd like. Oh, exactly. And, you know, they still obviously love each other. Nothing has changed. And thankfully, the documentary didn't go, oh, brothers and strife is this family dynamic ruined forever. You know, just show the thing, let people take their own conclusions, because the normal conclusion is, yeah, one of them got mad at the other, and now they're yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> they they do a really good thing actually. I think with family in the in the podcast in the documentary, they um they almost use families to tell the stories of things that we've seen, but from a very different perspective. So, like when Jorge Martin wins his rookie, his first race as a rookie. They don't show Jorge Martin in the podium. They show his dad in the garage and in the paddock and all these people come into him and the emotion his dad has. Um, the, the race where, where Mir finally concedes the championship, they, they, they don't show any of the Mir garage. They show his wife Alejandra sitting alone in the motorhome watching the race and the tensions that that brings to her. They really use the family fantastically to show the emotion of this. And if anything, actually... The, the real coup of season one hasn't been getting the writers to give incredible access. It's been getting their partners and their mothers and fathers and to give the access because that's, that's harder. These people aren't trained media professionals. Well, the other thing that gave a bit of access that surprised me when, when you two were first talking about it was that there were scenes for inside race control because we, we have almost this pantomime most MotoGP weekend, Simon, where you get rightly furious about a race control decision and want to write about it and i say okay we'll ask them their opinion too and you dutifully do that knowing that there's no way they'll give you any information about about their reasoning but you actually get to see some of the inner workings of MotoGP race control in in this doc there's obviously there's a benefit to be gained from the fact that it comes six months after the incident and it's cooler heads and it's calmer, which is why they're willing to let it be seen at a later date. But yeah, we, we get to see the process making or the decision making. And actually, um, without spoiling anything for anyone, we get to see them make a, a rather spectacular fuck up and then admit that they did it, which is, you know, fair play to the to, to Mike Webb. He admits that they got yeah, something yeah. wrong, yeah. Um, something that we rightly called them out for getting wrong on six months ago. Um, but that that has to all be there has to be a benefit to MotoGP in that happening as well there has to be a benefit in their own decision making process going forwards that the documentary puts a spotlight on these errors so that there's something beneficial for the sport to come out of that yeah I mean ultimately they didn't have to admit it I mean it came I don't think there was no. an admission at the time that something was wrong I don't remember one yeah no there absolutely wasn't I think no. I think everyone listening can probably guess what the what the incident is but if if not you know check out MotoGP Unlimited it's pretty good this is not a, this we've is, done a great job of teasing that without saying yeah, haven't we Val? this is not this is not paid content we all got review no. review copies no, I, yeah, I this should, is not, uh... not in in the least paid content <laughs> No, I should make that very clear. Actually, this is this is your spontaneous impressions, which is which is a real, real genuine praise for the series. And what one thing that actually that does bring to mind, Drive to Survive has been enormous for F one's profile, and it's something that sort of crept up on us all, kind of working in the industry. That you know, this this series existed initially. It revealed some quite interesting things. I think our reviews of the early series were more positive than the later ones, certainly, and almost without us noticing. You know, viewership figures are massively up. The demographic into F1 is changing. There's more suggestions that what a kind of Netflix effect is influencing F1 decision making. So, you know, I, I genuinely think just because F1's done this first doesn't mean MotoGP can't have the same effect. It's like, you know, the amount of things that succeed in in broadcasting because they're similar versions to something else. You know, I say that having avidly watch the pottery throw them because i love the bake-off for instance you know the moto gp unlimited is the pottery throw down to drive to survives bake-off potentially but you see what i mean just because if people love a sports documentary with people in motorsport they will also hopefully want to check out moto gp unlimited so 
where do you guys see this taking the championship in the ne- in the next few years? Will it have as, as galvanizing effect as it has for F1's profile, do you think? So I, I, I don't think it will. Um, I don't think it will do the same job as Drive to Survive did for, for various factors. Um, one being like the name recognition of F1 to begin with and, and, and things like that. But what I can see this doing for MotoGP is exactly what you've just said, Matt. This might not convert the casual viewer or the 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 sort of teenage girl demographic that Drive to Survive seems to have converted into F1 fans, but it has a really good chance of converting slightly disillusioned Drive to Survive fans into massive MotoGP <laughs> fans. Because, you know, I think everyone in every F1 fan watches Drive to Survive, but a lot of them don't like it, right? Oh, yeah. If you watch three episodes of this, you're going to realize that there's an awesome product here. And I, I genuinely think that we can, that's, that should be more than anything else should be MotoGP's target here. It should be stealing Drive to Survive fans. And you've got to think that that's something that aligns with Amazon's interests as well. So <laughs> that should be the push, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't see it having the same effect because it's, it's too international and not international enough. Not international enough in that it's not all in English. You have to read subtitles, which, you know, I... I'd like to think that's not as big an issue as it is, but like, come on, how many people have seen Alfonso Cuarón's Roma when it got nominated for for an Oscar? That movie that's entirely in Spanish, you have to watch it in subtitles. It's also all black and white and think, uh, you know, however good it is, that's a hard sell. People don't often like to read subtitles and it's, you know, it's often understandable. Um, and just generally, yeah, as Simon says, the, the name recognition, I hope... I hope they haven't set like super sky high targets so this will turn turn MotoGP into the English Premier League overnight. No, it's not going to happen. But it's just for people who are on the fence, this is a phenomenal introduction point. And for people who are already MotoGP fans, this is essential viewing, basically. Um, I don't know. As for as for new fans, I hope I'm not I'm not super optimistic, but I, I really hope because. Not even because, obviously, I love MotoGP, because I do, we all do, but it's because they put in a hell of an effort. I think that deserves to be rewarded, really, because they did things the right way when they could have done them the wrong way. They could have done it all in English, and it would have been 10,000 times worse. I, first, I'm going to throw out the caveat of, of regardless of what Val says, MotoGP Unlimited is not fully shot in black and white. It is in color. <laughs> 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 but the, the, the subtitles thing for me it isn't a big deal. I, I, I'm not a fan of subtitles and I didn't really notice that it was subtitled. And I think it's because you really, really, really get so much more raw emotion from people being able to speak in their own languages. Um, the, the yes. Aleish, let's go back to the Alesh rant about Paul. It would not have been half as good if it had been in English, but because it's in Catalan and he's angry and he's not thinking, it's beautiful. It's just pure, pure entertainment. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really glad that they they didn't force them into force them into English. And the actual interviews that they do to sort of move on the narrative a little bit, which are which are a mix of writers and media personalities. The the media personalities that they use are mainly English with a few Italians and Spaniards thrown in. But they, the writers all speak in their own languages. The media personalities all speak in their own languages. And that does a good job as well. You don't really notice the subtitles there. Um, I, and that's even with watching a, a preview copy of the series where the subtitles were a little bit dodgy. Um, they were a little bit hit and miss, I found. But that's... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and I did enjoy the fact that at one stage they 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 we obviously watched an English version, so they subtitle uh, all the non-English speakers. But at one point they did subtitle Jack Miller. You know who they didn't subtitle at the time I watched? There's no Miguel Oliveira <laughs> subtitles. So just yeah, yeah, there's no Portuguese subtitles in mine. It's yeah, like you just learn Portuguese. Yeah, Jackass, good luck. <laughs> I don't know if, like I speak a little bit of French, a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of Italian, a little bit of German, and then ah, suddenly I'm like trying. Yeah. yeah, but I speak them all badly. I'm not like you, who's you know fluent in the second language. But then suddenly I'm like, oh, I don't know any Portuguese. <laughs> I'm saying, oh, oh, well, that's nice, Miguel. I'm, I'm sure you're saying important things. Maybe he revealed where he's going in 2023. We just didn't understand it. <laughs> that's the big scoop. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we should really also talk about the uh, 2022 season that's actually happening now rather than the one you might have been watching via Amazon uh, in the last couple of days. So at the end of last week's podcast, we kind of try to make some sense of what happened in the Qatar Grand Prix and if it actually meant anything long term or was just a kind of glorious emotional anomaly. So Val, would you say what happened in the opener actually, did it really change your expectations for the course of the title battle or is it something that is actually going to be kind of separate to the narrative of the year? Uh, Both. Uh, The podium, I think, genuinely does not tell me a ton Um, because with Bastianini, the question is whether the the GB21 is going to be left behind with Binder. We know that KTM is occasionally capable of this magic, although clearly, again, the baseline is obviously higher. And with Paul, I think we just, what we saw in testing was more or less confirmed, which I guess does change something because that wasn't the case last year. But yeah, mostly my main takeaway, just looking back, thinking back at it, is Yamaha is screwed. That's, that's, that's how I view it, I think. There is no way there's going to be a repeat title that year. Uh, this year, I'm happy to eat my words in, in 22 races time, but this the M1 is not supposed to look this bad at Qatar. And yes, I know the big straights and all that, but Fabio even got a really good start this time. And he just went down and down and down. He ended up, was it eighth in, on merit? The lead Yamaha eighth on merit in a Qatar race with some reasonable attrition. That's real bad. Uh, and I, I don't see how they develop their way swiftly out of this. So for me, honestly, I think he's gone from one of the title favorites to really, really outside shot for me. I think I think it, it proved to me that his obvious concerns in the preseason were not exaggerated. Although that's also probably, you know, sort of playing into itself and that it's also probably hitting his mental state quite hard. I, I'm not as quick as Val to, to write off his entire season based on one race. Um, I understand your reasoning for it, Val. I, I get what you're saying about, you know, this is a track where that bike has dominated in the past. I think they've won half of all the races there, something like that, even at a horsepower circuit. So it, it it is a big warning sign to see what they did. But the the thing that kind of, the thing that, that gave me a little bit of hope is that Quartararo seems to understand or believe he understands where the problem's coming from. This issue with the wings, the new wings are too big. They're causing too much drag. He seems quite adamant that they can just rip them all off the front of the bike and suddenly have something that can actually go a little bit faster again. So whether or not that plans out, how long it takes um, is uh is all to be seen but really the the big question mark now that the big like i will be much more inclined to agree with what you've just said if they're ninth again next weekend because mandalika is a circuit that they should be really really strong i'm not necessarily saying he's going to go there and win it with franco marbidelli second and andrea davizioso third because i think the suzuki's in particular will be in the mix as well but if they are a little bit faster there, if they're back at the, the hunt for the podium, then I think that that kind of hints that they've got a few races to buy themselves a bit of comfort zone because they can go to Termas feeling sort of similarly reasonably competitive. The, they can know that Mark Marquez is probably going to take 25 points off everyone at uh, Coda regardless of what they do. And then we're back into circuits where the bike goes a little bit better and with the promise of, of updates that he's sort of deadlined have to come from Michello. Where I'm coming from is I think you could take all of that. You could uh, control C or not control C. You could go find replace. You could take every instance of Yamaha and Quartararo and replace it with Suzuki Mir for last year. And we know how that turned out. It, It didn't go anywhere. I just, I don't see that there's an, if it was a really, really new bike that needed time to work on then yeah sure like like it is with honda like it is to some extent even with with the ducati i think uh 
maybe like it is with Suzuki, but it's not that different. And yet there's a track on which the previous version of the bike won two races and it was profoundly nowhere. Of course, he's going to still win races, I think, Fabio, but I don't know. I, I'm really, I'm really not optimistic because also Frankie seemed fit, but not really there. Dovi had a bit of a nightmare. Uh, bike doesn't work great in traffic. Uh, maybe even worse than the previous year's version, because with previous year's version, Fabio could do a lot in, in traffic, and it, that didn't seem to be the case this time. Um, just, just really, really concerning. I don't, I don't know what needs to improve, and I don't know how, how a title challenge would look, I guess. Like, maybe if he suddenly just dominates the European leg, maybe. But, I don't know, they might be, like, just uh, podiums alone won't cut it, I think. Has to, we have to see that dominant Fabio of, of 2021 for him to win the title, because those, those weekends is what the title was built on. The, the one takeaway from, from everything we've just talked about, from Yamaha going into 22, from Suzuki going into 21, and from Honda going into 20, is that the Japanese manufacturers are just really bad at aero. They just, they can't, you know, but but it's true now. We've had three years in a row where a Japanese manufacturer has completely buggered up their, their aerodynamics at the start of the season. And the European manufacturers, for all the weaknesses of the Ducati and the Aprilia, are making that part of the bike work really well. And it, it's it's largely, I think, because of, you know, there's a Japanese factory conservatism that's stopping them from moving away from this is what a MotoGP bike looks like and we can't be building one of those monstrosities that those crazy Italians have built. But there's going to come a point where that has to change because otherwise I think we're going to see an entire tipping of the balance of the series towards the you know these innovative Europeans. Uh, so in American sports, there's the concept of a, of a coaching tree where you know there's a few coaches under the main very successful coach and they all get head coaching jobs of their own on the basis of that, like the most obvious famous example is, you know, New, New England Patriots in the NFL, Bill Belichick and a bunch of people that grew up under him getting head coaching jobs on the strength of working with Bill Belichick. What I'm, what I'm hearing is, is that all the Japanese manufacturers should do the same with Gigi Delinia. Everybody who's worked with Gigi Delinia, everybody who's served in coffee or whatever should, should get, well, and obviously KTM has already KTM done that, just with, done that. Uh, with Sterlachini. Yeah. yeah. But KTM is not a Japanese manufacturer. No. So now now the Japanese manufacturers have to find somebody else. There, there is a, I'm, I'm not sure who. There's a reason yeah. that they've all already done that on the team management side. You know, every Japanese manufacturer has a European in a senior team management role. Um, Supo, Poj, Jarvis, uh, Mary Galli as well. Maybe it's time that they need to start doing the same thing and, and recruiting a bit of European engineering talent just to mix things up a bit. I know we're only one race in, so this is like a, a riskily sweeping statement, though. I do see Val's point that Yamaha looked in a terrible mess. And I do I do see this slight problem that Suzuki, for all its promise, did, did, did nothing with the race in Qatar, really. And it's quite tempting to write both of them off. But my, my counterpoint to that would be, who the hell else looks like they can dominate this season at, at the moment? You know, the, the, the podium last week was a bike we expect to go backwards, a bike that is quick once every six races for reasons no one quite understands, and Paul Espargaro, who I don't think, I think his whole career so far, just, just look at it, basically. It feels like you can afford to take time to kind of find your feet and, and sort your bike out because no one, no one looks like they're going to take this by the throat just yet. Uh, so... This is Mark Marquez's patient period, as he as he described it. If he stays on the bike at, uh, at uh, Argentina, if he stays, we're going to Argentina, right? I'm not. Yeah, we're, no, we're going to Argentina, mind, right? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Uh, if 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 he wins at Cota, which he always does, and if he obviously takes advantage of the low grip at Mandalika, or at least again stays on the bike, I think that w- once we get to Europe, there is a non-zero chance Mark run, Mark runs away with this. But that's just because I, I think I've seen this this exact story before. And, and I know he's starting from further back right now, but Qatar was a race where really all the other guys should have been outscoring Mark, all of the other main contenders, and none of them did. Mir did not. Quartararo did not. Banyaya, Bagel. Mil, uh, Miller. Miller, Bagel. Martin, Bagel. So... 
Yeah, I I really I think the big winner besides the the top three from Qatar is is Mark because he didn't have a particularly great race, but he managed to at a track that he doesn't particularly fancy. He managed to not only put a decent points total on the board, but somehow not get outscored by all the guys who are supposed to be his main rivals. I, I think the same also applies to a slightly lesser extent to Ducati. Um, there's a reason that Davide Tardazzi gave a, a sort of a, a groveling apology to us, to uh, to Peko Bagnaia for how they've buggered up their preseason strategy. But I think they've, they've buggered up their preseason strategy, not their bike. I think that there's they can get that bike right um, with a bit of time, with a bit of new focus, with a bit of actually, you know, just letting the riders ride the bike instead of trying to make it better every weekend. And it almost needs the balance of that team to switch a little bit from the Gigi Delinia camp over to the Tardotsi camp and let Tardotsi run with things for, for a few races and see what happens. Um, there is an argument, I suppose, to be made that you could say the same thing about KTM, given how strongly they started the season and how they seem to have a bike that has a lot of potential that needs fixing. But I can't see a KTM rider being a, a title contender. Um, I obviously can't see Paco Bagnaia being a title contender. So, um, yeah, I think Ducati and, and Yamaha, or Ducati and Honda, sorry, are in a, a relatively good place for now. So, Simon, do you feel like what Ducati's got is fundamentally right? It's it's the position it put Bagnaia in in the build-up to the race in Qatar that, that meant we didn't really see any of that. Yeah, I think so. The, the they, they keep telling us the bike is better, the bike is better, the bike is better, despite their decision to switch back to a slightly older spec of engine. But it is worth noting that the older engine that they've switched to is actually still a new engine. It's not the 2021 engine. It's a, a sort of a halfway house that they used in testing. But I, the, the decision to make that switch so late just means that the guys just, they have no base setting. They're, they're riding something that, is completely alien to them and they're doing it going into a race weekend. You talk to people like uh like Mir or Binder and they're saying things like, Oh yeah, we set up that we we set the bike on day one in Mandalika and we haven't touched it since. And then Ducati are like, Oh yeah, no, we're just gonna change the entire specification of the engine the <laughs> night before the first practice session. Um but the way the bike ended last season, it's not a bad bike. Um the 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 challenge for Ducati, I guess, and for Bagnaia in particular, will be making sure that it, this time it doesn't take half a season to get there. I should say I have some, not questions, but I'm wondering, so I guess he has questions, about how much how much <laughs> of a centre of gravity Pekka Bagnaia is at, at Ducati right now. And here's the, well, obviously the, the engine change, which seems to have been his preference much more so than Jack's from everything we've had, yeah. uh, is one thing. The other thing is, not only did he earn a unprompted apology, effectively public apology from Ducati after the race, yeah. but he did not get a public slap on the wrist for taking out the pole man, for chugging it down the inside of the guy who started on pole, who's also a Ducati rider with potential title aspirations, for for you know taking him out and potentially hurting him. You know, I like Peko a whole lot, but I I will say Andre Iannone got fired for this effectively <laughs> so uh i don't know i maybe maybe wouldn't have gone the the apology route because those points could have come in handy for jorge martin down the line and it it suggests to me that ducati has an idea of who it plans to have fighting for the title and who it thinks can bring it the title um i don't know that might be might have been too early a decision to make if if so and if, if if I'm just reading too much into it and Banya actually got like a huge telling off behind the scenes, then well just it doesn't seem that way, does it? No, the whole thing around the whole thing around how Ducati's treating Banya at the moment I find I find absolutely fascinating. But it's such a different position for him to be in. Like when we did the top ten riders podcast last year, I, I was one of the people who strongly argued for Banya to be top of that list. But I, I also wouldn't wouldn't have gone into this season saying he's necessarily my title favourite because last season he came good as the bike came good at a time when there was no expectation he'd be champion really. He'd fallen too far behind Quattararo in the points. He had nothing to lose. He just had to, had to go out, rag it, race hard, see what see what could happen. That is a really, really different psychological position to going into a season as 
the kind of national hope for a manufacturer that has not won a title in far too long with a hugely competitive opposition and all the all of this riding on you and seven or eight other riders in the same family with who, who would love to have that uh, that status in the team that you've been given yeah i agree i agree to i mean i i don't really i don't doubt banyai in that you don't win four out of six MotoGP races if if you're not special he's clearly very very special and i i i can understand why ducati is i think fairly infatuated with him over over the other guys but my my point is just entirely like I'm surprised he he got away with the with the Martin thing because I don't imagine if the roles were reversed for instance imagine if Jorge Martin chucked it down the inside of Francesca Bagnaia and took him out of what was it eighth seventh place I mean in MotoGP those are serious points still you you need those points so. But we'll see, you know, we'll see. Uh, ultimately, Banya, if Banya wins this weekend in Mandalika, like, everything's forgotten instantly. If Martin wins this weekend in Mandalika, then I think we revisit it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. No, that's a really interesting point about how any of the other Ducati riders might have been treated by the bosses had it been reversed. Um, you know, Ducati has got a record for upsetting and letting riders go that shouldn't have gone in the past. I mean, we at this weekend, we've run your interview with Jorge Lorenzo, Simon, where he he declares quite confidently he could have been a double champion in the, over the last two years if he'd stayed at Ducati, but uh, Ducati chose to get rid of him almost literally minutes before he came good on that bike. And No one's disagreeing with that. No, no, indeed. And the Dovi story... Someone that he would have been a double champion? I'm disagreeing with that. 2019, nobody... <laughs> come on. 2020 no, and 21. But 20 is, is and 21. Oh, yeah, okay. No, no, no. no yeah, sorry. <laughs> My bad. 2019, nobody else is going to be champion ever. Well, no read chance. our website. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, Dovi was a great fairy tale for Ducati. That ended under a, under a horrible cloud. They've they've got a bit of form for not treating riders the way riders might might want to be treated. Be- Peko is getting that exact arm around the shoulder support. Uh, you know, now it's it's a good test of whether that theory is actually going to work or whether it risks you know, like you say, alienating other riders or putting too much hope on. On, on you know putting all, all your eggs in one basket not quite honda at marquez yeah. honda at marquez style but maybe yeah. in that direction it could be it could be overcorrection but you know worth a shot i i see what you mean and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsns varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply so we're hoping that this weekend's uh, return to Indonesia is going to answer a few of the enormous number of questions we've got. But there's, um, there's quite a few questions over what MotoGP is going to find when it gets to Mandalika as well, because the, the test there was uh, was certainly eventful. But, you know, some substantial work has gone on on that track in the month since then. So, Simon, what are we expecting when MotoGP rocks up on Friday? Um, we're expecting a circuit layout that everyone is going to love. That that's like one hundred percent. They've built a fast, fun, flowing, rider friendly surface with a ton of like good safety features. There's big runoff. There's there's et cetera, et cetera. So on that regards, we're we're gonna have a good race as well because I think it's gonna make for for some pretty good racing. Uh, the questions that remain are around one area in particular, and that's the surface. Um, we know they've resurfaced half the track. And they've they've went like they've almost literally moved mountains to do it. They um from what I've been told, they they are currently resurfacing one runway at Jakarta Airport and they stole the, the asphalting equipment, put it in a barge, <laughs> shipped it to Lombok and did half the track with it. So that they're they're not messing around. Uh to try and fix that issue that we had in the race or in the test, sorry, that, that saw people getting sort of shotgunned with pebbles as they were stripped out of the, the the surface that wasn't quite what it should have been. Um, the issue is that if that's only half the track that's been resurfaced, what are we going to see whenever it's a race? Because um, obviously following one bike is different from following 20 in a Moto3 race in particular. Um, 
but then maybe the Moto Three bikes won't have the same power to pull stones out of the surface. So that's that's a bit of a you know a what if at this point. We'll see what way it pans out. Um, and then beyond that, we're we're gonna see what sort of an event we're gonna have because when we went there for the test, um, there was wasn't many fans because there was no one allowed in. The infrastructure still needed a lot of work done to it to the extent that the road into the circuit was dirt uh, and not asphalt because they were still building a new two-lane road into the track. Uh, and then there's also you know, wh- what a sort of huge influx of fans into the area is going to do because it's it's a small town, it's a relatively poor area, hotels are at a, a premium and they're expecting hundreds of thousands of people to rock up it could be it could make for a rather wild weekend for the MotoGP paddock as they suddenly find themselves inundated with uh with all these bike mad Indonesians. Um you know, Mark Marquez told us the story whenever we did a, an interview with him at the race that he opened his curtains one morning and there was a group of people standing outside waving to him because they'd figured out his hotel room, let alone his hotel. Uh that's that's the intensity of Indonesian fandom for MotoGP. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a uh, entertaining and hopefully fun to see how all that plays out there's probably going to be a, a lot of crossed fingers on thursday and on sunday before the race because obviously i can't think of a MotoGP race that's more important in the you know in the non-championship but as an event yeah. than this one yeah. obviously uh, indonesia really loves MotoGP. Yeah, like we're we're getting we're getting two big big moments for MotoGP in the space of a week between the launch of the documentary series and having a race in Indonesia you feel like that is the two big cards they're they're going all in on for the the next few years of the sport yeah so f- fingers crossed obviously uh, nobody gets as you put it shotgunned with pebbles in the race uh, do they even like do we even have a race distance for it yet because there were some there were some questions about that during the test I think yeah, we 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 do the uh, the schedule come out earlier in this week, and he says frantically filling spaces. He tries to find a PDF <laughs> to check what the race distance exactly is. Uh, yeah, see, because that's that's moment, why I asked because I have no idea. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought I thought you asked specifically to put me on the spot because yeah. I wouldn't have put that at all past you. Um, our race distance will be 27 laps. Yeah, that's that's what they expected, and there were which I is think, roughly what was expected. Yeah, I think there were some some desiring it to be a bit shorter because of all the <laughs> yeah the pebbling. So you know, we'll S- see. Strangely, I think I think we're going to see riders complaining about two things this weekend that we don't normally hear them complain about, and, and they're both related to pebble diameter. Oddly. Um, one will be getting hit with stones when following bikes. We saw a little bit of that in the the test with with Peko ending up with some spectacular bruises that looked like, you know, whatever someone gets shot while wearing a bulletproof vest. Those sort of impacts. The other will be um, it, gravel. It seems like the gravel traps are big stones here, which means bikes dig in, riders dig in, and you end up a lot sorer after crashes than you do if you just skip along the top. Um, and obviously there's quite a bit of gravel here because there's not the same asphalt runoff because this is a circuit not built for F1, like explicitly not built for F1. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see who comes away from this weekend a bit beaten up and a bit sore. I don't think anyone's going to, I'm not saying anyone's going to get hurt because it is a, an inherently safe circuit, but I think people who crash will get, will, will ache afterwards. I, I remember, so... During the, the test sessions, I remember I I asked or I spoke to two writers about the, the gravel and Jorge Martin obviously described it as being like jagged little knives. And then Andrea Vidocioso said it was completely fine. So I'm eager I'm eager to find out what the majority of the writers think of the of the gravel. Because apparently Martin did bring it up in, in the safety commission, but I'm not sure how many writers shared his shared his concern. So we'll find out because people will crash. Uh, poor LCR Honda will be <laughs> in the gravel track again. GP's official gravel tester. Great team. name for an indie <laughs> band, by the way. Jagged Little Knives. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. uh, too close. Too close to Alanis. It's very close to being copyright infringement. I, I just think, though, where you cite it, it's Martin and, and Dovi having those two different opinions. Is that is that Dovi going, well, you know, in the 2000s, 
You know, when we when we crashed, we landed <laughs> back on in my day. broken bottles yeah. or something. Yeah, there were spikes. <laughs> you don't know your spikes. <laughs> I think I think Dobby from Dobby, some of Dobby's uh, previous uh, comments. If it was actual literal boulders, he'd be happy just as long as it wasn't asphalt <laughs> runoff because he hates <laughs> the stuff. <laughs> So in between like dodging flying rocks, did did we find out enough in the test to work out who might actually win this weekend and who looks like they've mastered this track? It, it, I I would say that the balance tips slightly in favor of Suzuki, but I don't think that that means that they're going to win it. Yeah, with with a new surface, that's sort of. I think the the bigger question is not the layout; it's the grip level. I think that's just that's how modern MotoGP is layout takes a, a backseat i think a little bit to the to the grip level if the grip level is turns out to be really 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 low on a not much used half repaved circuit then well, it's marks to lose isn't it or i can't think of any really anybody else i mean jack i guess but no i think you know low grip level you go to mark and mark mark looked pretty good in the test fabio's pace looked really good in the test but i you know if if the grip stays low i have no faith in the current m1 uh, so I don't, I don't know. I'm really, really genuinely at a loss. I think FP1 and FP2 and FP3 are going to be super interesting just to get a feel on what the hell's going on, how, how quickly the track's cleaning. Because if I recall, I didn't get to follow it too closely, but the the World Superbike finale at Manzalika last year was weird, isn't it? There were some unusual things going on. First of all, I have no faith in the current M1. Is very much you channeling your inner Maverick Vinales. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the Superbike finale last year is kind of hard to understand because most of it would have been better suited to jet ski racing than, right. Motor- right, than right, motorbike right. racing. Yeah. It was horrendously wet. Mm. And I think that the, even when it was dry, it was wet. It was one yeah. of those just horrible underwater weekends. So it's kind of hard to get uh, too much of a, a feel for it. There's pictures from last year of Dami Agater with a loofah and a bottle of shower gel in pit lane showering in the rain. <laughs> it was that wet on occasion. So, And not, not, none of that expected this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, the, the forecast at the minute is for heavy rain every day. Wait. Is it? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Dear Lord. Oh, yeah. Well, I that's mean, not going to help us at all. We're not going to know anything. The forecast for the test was heavy rain every day and it didn't happen. Okay. So I'm not getting overly carried away, but I've been speaking to to David Goldman, our photographer, who's on Lombok already. It, it, he said, yeah, it's red every day. Oh, interesting. So who knows? We're going to get a, like a Darren Bender win and we'll have no idea what to do. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like images of people from KTM, st- like just get a Hervé Pontrell stand like in pit lane on his knees screaming, Danilo! Because Petrucci's not there to do something with this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. Scott Redding's going to get like 7,000 offers from every team. Scott Redding's just going to appear like... Uh... <laughs> he, stayed. he stayed over. <laughs> no, I see, I see more turning up with a fishing rod and a, bottle, and a bucket of KFC a la Gaza. <laughs> if you say Redding three times in front of the mirror, he shows up. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we could we could say this every every week, but it's so fascinating to go into Smart GP weekend having no idea what might happen next. But this time, it's not just that there's six bikes that are quick enough that might win on their day, and riders in angst, and but bikes that are fastest but might not get qualifying done. It's that we've got no idea if the circuit's going to fall apart or be flooded, or that well whether the test last month where they had three days of running here told us absolutely anything of of note whatsoever. It's it's a it's a glorious we, little mystery. I like it a lot. New theory: the uh, the specification of asphalt used first time around at Lompoc was in fact set by Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a hell it's a hell of a weekend coming up for the race. We've got uh, the Formula One season opener in Bahrain. We've got this magical mystery tour for MotoGP in Indonesia. IndyCar's back on as well with its first oval race of the year at Texas Motor Speedway. It has been an absolute nightmare to do a rotor for, which is the sort of thing that um, <laughs> I get very excited about, but no mm-hmm. other listeners really should. Um, thank you for your time. Toby will be back to unravel everything that happened in Mandalika next week. Um, keep reading the dash race.com to find out everything that goes on and uh, we'll see you back in podcast form in about seven days time. Thank you.
The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.